Hallelujah, praise God, praise God, praise God. What an amazing morning. It's so great to be able to um, come into your home. We, we are humbled by the fact that you welcome us into your um, home or wherever it is that you're watch, watching uh, um, this uh, message or this service, um, we are honored that you would give us that privilege. And so we are honored to be in the presence of God. We're here in the church building, but the church is scattered throughout the city and throughout this region. And so the same presence of God that is here this morning and that is moving during this time of worship, I believe and I trust that is moving right there where you're at. Amen. We, we are so blessed to serve a God that is alive, to serve a God that is real, to serve a God that is relational, to serve a God that's not, it's not some deity that's far away and not interested in our affairs, but he is so much involved in our lives and he loves it when we worship him. And he comes and he moves in our midst and he touches our hearts and he meets our needs. And I, I trust and I believe that through that time of worship, you have received, amen, the presence of God that is right there with you. No matter what you're going through, he's there to comfort you. He's there to strengthen you. And so this morning, we want to bring a word, and, and we're entitling it, The Resurrection of Jesus, The Rapture of the Saints. The Resurrection of Jesus, The Rapture of the Saints. Let us pray. Father, we adore you. We magnify your name. Jesus, we continue even a week later to celebrate that historic event, your resurrection, that has changed the course of our lives and allows us to live a life focused on eternity and knowing that we have a living hope that even as this body decays, oh God, and even as, as we're, we're destined to face that day where, where our physical bodies will expire, we know that in that moment we will transition right into your presence. And we have the assurance of it because you rose from the grave. And so you are the first fruits of those who will resurrect. And so we praise you this morning for that living hope. And we pray that that living hope would invade every heart, every home, every place where this transmission is going, Father, that you would bless them with a living hope, O oh God, that even if they're facing a hopeless situation, a hopeless day, O oh God, that they would be overflooded, O oh God, right now with that living hope, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name, let this word, O oh God, be encouraging and building up to the saints as we speak your word, O oh God. We do it, Lord, in reverence and fear, knowing that it is a great responsibility and we do not take it lightly. So whatever you do, we want to glorify you, Lord, and, 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 and we want to thank you in anticipation for your blessings, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Today I'm going to use a very unusual scripture um, as it relates to the resurrection and even to the rapture, but I think is very relevant to both of those um, events. And so I'm going to be speaking from Psalms 24. Uh, but before I do, 
The story is said of a mother who was telling her daughter that her grandfather had gone to be with Jesus. And so she shared with her daughter that the Lord had prepared a nice place for granddaddy and that he had moved into this new place. She went on to tell the little girl that one day Jesus would come back for them as well and would take them to a place, a new place that he was also preparing for them. The little girl inquired of her mother. She says, when, when will Jesus come to get us, mommy? The mother explained that we do not know the hour or the day. And so the little girl had a quizzical look. She was like, you know, what does that mean? And so the mother asked her if something was bothering her about all of this. And the little girl wisely responds, and she says, Mom, I was just thinking, if Jesus is coming to get us, and we don't know when, don't you think we ought to get ready? And so in that statement, that little girl was able to understand a principle that is established in the Word of God that unfortunately many of us in our adult years have yet to understand. And that is that we indeed must be prepared for the return of the Lord. You see, Jesus rose again, and we celebrated that last Sunday. It was called Resurrection Sunday morning. And so he rose again on that first Resurrection Sunday. He ascended to the heavens, but the Bible says that he is coming back again. He got out of the tomb. He ascended on the cloud to the third heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But he did leave his presence to those of us who receive him. We know that the presence of Jesus is manifested through his Holy Spirit. But one day, even though the Holy Spirit is with us and Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit, one day, one glorious day, we are going to see him again face to face. It will happen when he returns in the same manner that he ascended. The Bible says that while he ascended, the disciples were staring to the skies, looking to the heavens, and they were, they, they were in a way uh, uh, having this emotional roller coaster. I mean, they had gotten excited 40 days earlier when they found out that Jesus rose from the dead, and now he was with them again. But then 40 days later, after his resurrection, now they discovered that he's leaving them again. And so I'm sure that there was an element of sadness an element of concern for them. And so as they see him ascended, the Bible says that angels came and they said, oh, ye men of Galilee, why are you staring to the skies and, and, and having this doubt about what's happening? Don't you know that in the same way that Jesus is being taken to heaven in that same manner, he shall return. And that is a blessed hope that we as believers have, have. That's why when we celebrate the resurrection, we don't simply celebrate it as a historic event, but we celebrate it because he's really the precursor of an event that we are all anxiously awaiting, and that is for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that those of us that are alive, we will rise up, amen. Our bodies will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We will lose this body, amen, of, of sickness, this body of decay, this body that has been contaminated by sin, and we will be given a glorified body, and we will ascend to the heavens. But before we ascend, the Bible says, the dead in Christ, those who have died, 
believing in Jesus, the Bible says that they will rise from their graves. My God, that is going to be an epic day. That is going to be a glorious day for those of us who believe. But it will be a day also of confusion, of panic. If you think that the COVID-19 has created enough panic, you don't want to even imagine what the panic is going to be on that day when Jesus returns and millions of people disappear from the face of the earth and you go to the cemeteries and you see graves opening up and people ascending and graves being left empty. It's going to be a glorious day. That's what the resurrection points to. Amen. The fact that he's coming back again. But today I want to use this Old Testament passage as a way of helping us to appreciate the importance, the significance of the resurrection, the ascension and the return of Jesus. And so I want you to turn with me to Psalms 24. But before we go to the psalm, I just want to give you a little background on that psalm. There was a time, and I'm sure many of you have read the story, when the Israelites were facing their nemesis. I'm talking about the enemy that was constantly seeking to destroy Israel and seeking to destroy the people of God. They were known as the Philistines. And so they went to war with the Philistines. And that day was a disastrous day. It was a, it was a terrible day for Israel. They had lost the battle. And so if you read the story, the Bible says that the, 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 the priest of that time was Eli. Eli was the one that had mentor and had, had guided a young boy by the name of Samuel, who later on became a prophet. And so that, that day, Eli was still in the office of the priesthood. And the Bible says that someone came, a Benjamite came, and broke the news to Eli that Israel had been defeated in battle, and worse yet, that his sons had perished in that battle. And so Eli was saddened by the news, but he was not surprised because uh, God had already forewarned him of what was going to be the outcome of his sons because they had really become kids who disrespected, amen, God, disrespected the house of God. And they were, they were doing their own thing, amen. Though they were part of the lineage of priesthood, they were doing their own thing and they were abusing their position and they were abusing the fact that their father was the priest, amen. They were taking advantage of that situation. And so the Bible says that his sons, they died in the midst of this battle. But Eli, though satin, he understood. He was expecting that. But then he got a second terrible news. And that news was that the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, had been taken from the Israelites. It had been taken captive by their enemy, the Philistines. And so the Bible says that when he heard about the Ark of the Covenant, he was sitting on this high chair and he fell backwards and he died. But not only that, the Bible says that his daughter-in-law, she was seven months pregnant, very advanced in her pregnancy, ready to give birth in a couple of months. When she heard the death of her husband, Phinehas, she was saddened by it. But in a way, she was probably also prepared for the fact that, that judgment was going to come upon these children, her husband included. But when she found out that the Ark of God's Covenant had been taken by the enemies, 
the Bible says it threw her into a shock, such a shock that she had a premature birth. And so she, she bore her child at the seven, seven months of a pregnancy. And the, the labor was so terrible and, and the, the brokenness of her heart was so terrible that the Bible says she died in the course of delivering that child. But before she died, she gave that child a name. She called him Ichabod. Now, kebab in Hebrew means the glory of God or the glory. When you add the letter I to that word kebab, the letter I means no. So if you put those two together, the, the, the name Ichabod means no glory. Or the glory of God has departed. And so, she was so distraught, she was so affected by that, she bears this child, she gives him this name, and she dies in the process. I would imagine this is exactly how the disciples felt when Jesus was crucified and buried. They felt the glory of God was gone for good. They felt sad. They felt brokenhearted. Their emotions were beyond words. Their dreams had been crushed and their hopes dashed when Jesus was crucified and laid on that tomb. In the Old Testament days, all the people could do was dream of the day the ark could be recovered and brought back to its proper place. Finally, the ark came into the hands again of the Israelites. And a day was set to bring the ark or the presence of God Right back to his rightful place, to the holy city of Jerusalem. And so as they're preparing to receive this ark once again, the Bible says that there's a song that is written and is attributed to David in his Psalms 24. This song is sung as the presence of the Lord returned as it were from the dead. Again, I do not have the exact words to express the excitement that these people must have felt. It must have been as, as, as strong as the agony they experienced when the ark was taken away. They experienced excitement because they knew that the ark, which represented the presence of God, was coming back to Israel. The Lord was returning to his people. And I'm sure that's the same thing that the disciples felt on that day when they learned that Jesus had risen from the dead. But other than these analogies, how does the psalm connect with the events of the Resurrection Sunday? Jesus was crucified on the cross. It was as if his presence or the presence of the Almighty God had departed from the disciples. Their heart had sunk within them. Sadness had overwhelmed them. Fear had gripped them. A host of neg negative emotions had overflooded their hearts. And so then Sunday morning comes, and he rises from the dead. They heard the word, and they ran to Galilee to meet him. When he, had, when he was in their midst, it must have seemed like a dream come true. He was alive. From that time till this, those who believe in him have been singing about the fact that Jesus is risen. As a matter of fact, Jay was just singing a song that was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how is that now that same spirit that rose him from the dead now is alive in me. The resurrected king, he's alive. He's resurrecting me through that same spirit that rose him or raised him from the dead. 
Amen. And so this is where the Old Testament and the New Testament link together as it relates to the event of the resurrection. But Jesus did more than simply rise from the dead. He ascended and he promised to come back one day for us. And though his spirit dwells in us as believers, yet we are waiting for that day when he returns in the same clouds by which he ascended and we're able to see him face to face. A songwriter wrote and said, what a day this will be. When my Jesus I shall see, when I look into his face, the one who saves me by his grace. And so let's go now to Psalms 24. And I want to focus specifically on verses 7 and verses 8. Because I believe though this psalm was written in connection to the return of the ark, but there's a prophetic message in this psalm. And the writers and those that sang it did not fully understand the, the prophetic message that was uh, involved in the writing of this psalm. And so, I want you to focus with me on verse number 7 and number 8. Now, I want you to picture in your minds, as, as the people of Israel are getting ready to receive the ark, there's this choir of Israelites that are ready to sing these words. But I want you to picture a choir that's divided in two parts. And so they would sing a part of this psalm together, and they would sing it multiple times until they would build up emotionally and it would build up into a musical crescendo. Emphasis as to the the, 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 the wonderfulness of this, of this song that they were singing. But then there would come a part where they were split up, and now one side would sing, and the other side would respond. So just keep that image in your mind. And so they join together, and they sing verses number 7 and number 8. And this is what it says. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And again, they sang this multiple times, and it would build up. The music would build up. There was emotion involved. There was, there was a musical uh, 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 buildup in the song. You know, sometimes I get a little concerned when people just sing to sing, but the emotions are not involved. People, sometimes they sing songs, and they sing it so mechanically, so robotic. There's no emotional involvement. Sometimes we get criticized as charismatics that we're too emotional. Amen. But the thing is that when we sing to the Lord, when we preach, when we do something unto the Lord, we, we, we are so passionate about it because the Bible says that he who much is forgiven, much is grateful. And so when we sing unto God, there's got to be an involvement of our emotions. Our bodies have got to feel, our spirit has got to feel what it is that we're singing unto the Lord. And the Israelites, this is the way they worship. Sometimes we become so so prim and so pompous and so religious. But the Israelites would not hold back when it came to worshiping God. They would not hold back when it came to celebrating. Amen. As a matter of fact, whenever they won a war, the Bible says that the, that the virgins would walk out to the city streets and they would begin to break out in a dance of praise unto God for giving them the victory 
through whatever king was reigning at that moment. And so this is what happened with the song. They will sing this first part multiple times. And then one of the groups would break out and they would ask the question in song, who is the king of glory? And again, this was repeated. Who is the king of glory? Who is the king of glory? And the other part of the choir would respond, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And so this psalm expressed the joy that they felt for the victory that God had given them over their enemies. And in remembering the return of the ark, they would remember how God defeated the Philistines and how God once again gave them the victory. But I want you to rest assured that this song of victory does not only apply to the return of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. In fact, the Jewish people continue to sing this psalm in worship. It is believed that they still sing it every year in Jerusalem. Even during the days of Jesus, they were singing this song. And when, they, and when did they sing it? On the first day of the week, following the Passover. My brothers and sisters, do you know what that day was on that week when Jesus had been crucified? It was that first resurrection Sunday. Notice that they would not sing this on the Sabbath, on the day of Passover. They would only sing it on the first day of the week. And so on that resurrection Sunday, while Jesus was about to walk out of the grave, they were singing the words of this beautiful song. Amen. And truly, without them knowing, they were singing about the Lord who not only rose from the grave, but he rose up like the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He had defeated sin at the cross. He had defeated death at the grave. He had defeated Satan when he descended to the bottom parts of the earth. He had defeated the grave when he walked out of it. And indeed, he had defeated all of the, all of the, the forces of hell. Amen. And he didn't need an army. He didn't seek an army to do so. He did it on his own. Understand that the battle was not fair. Understand that Jesus was fighting this battle by himself. There was a moment on the cross when even he felt like the father had abandoned him for a moment. He had to face this enemy by himself, but the enemy that he was facing was not a fair fighter. He was coming at him with everything he had. All the forces of hell, all the demonic powers, all the powers of darkness and principalities rose up on that Friday, amen, while Jesus hung on that cross, and they, they were determined to destroy him. It was, it was an army against an army of one. But Jesus knew that the only way that this fight could be won, there were some rules that were laid out. And he could not break the rules, though. He was fighting someone who didn't think twice about breaking rules because he's known as the great deceiver, the great liar, the great cheater. But Jesus never cheated. He stuck to the rules. And so when he won this battle, when he won this war, he didn't win it with an army of angels surrounding him. He didn't win it with the Holy Spirit or the Father. No, he won it on his own because he had to 
play by the rules. So 40 days later, after he resurrects, amen, after he had done what was necessary to prepare his disciples for the task that they were about to take, amen, remember up to this moment, they were, Jesus was with them, but now he was about to ascend, and now he was going to pass the mantle to them, amen, so that they would now in turn begin to communicate begin to share the good, good news of this gospel. And so it was a great weight of responsibility. And they, they had to be equipped. That's why Jesus took 40 days to prepare them so that they can uh, be uh, uh, rightly uh, ready, amen, to, to take the good news of the gospel and be able to be effective in doing so. And so I want you to imagine on that day when Jesus ascended to the heavens, Imagine Jesus entering into the gates of glory. And he shouts this time. He sings a song of David. And he says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. And then there's a choir that begins to respond from the ramparts of heaven. And they say, who is this king of glory? I believe this is written so that we may get a sense of the splendor, of the amazement of this moment when Jesus is once again arriving into heaven after his resurrection. And so the angelic hosts begin to shout, who is this king of glory? And the answer is resounding. All of heaven breaks forth in a victory cry. They sing and they shout as the great gates of pearl open and the Lord Jesus with, scar with his scarred body, scarred at Calvary, with the scars that he wore as a general would wear stars that would identify his ranks in hierarchy. He wore the scars in his bodies as he enters into the heavenly gates. Amen. He walks down the streets of gold. And they began to sing, to respond to the question, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. There he is. He's back among the angels in glory. He is back in the presence of his father. He is back where he belongs, the risen savior, fresh from, a, from the fight of all of history. There's never been a fight as vicious, as intense as the one that he had just fought. And he's returning from this fight. The devil has been defeated. Death has been defeated. And he wears not a champion's belt, but he wears a crown of glory that identifies him as the great conqueror and the victor. And that's the Jesus that we're waiting for. He's coming back. This time he's not riding on a donkey. This time he's riding on a white horse. This time he's not coming with a wreath on his head that would identify him as a king. No, or, or, nor would he come with a crown of thorns in his head. No, this time he's coming with many crowns. And they all speak of his glory. And that is the, 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 the Christ that we're waiting for and that we're preparing ourselves for because he's coming back and he's coming back soon. Amen. And so we thank God that this psalm is not only about the ark returning, but it also has to do 
with the return of Jesus to heaven. But now I want to connect it to the rapture. So it's wonderful to praise God for his resurrection. Beautiful song when they sing about his resurrection. Beautiful song when they sing about his ascension back to heaven. But I want you to understand the song is not over. The song is not over. There's more to the song. You know, Joshua did, did a song at the end, and, and one of those songs he said he stopped, and I thought he was done. And then he, he picked up again, and he began to sing again. The song was not over. Sometimes, sometimes we're in worship, and the music stops, and the singing stops, and, and, and sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been to a concert where you think that the, the, the number was finished, and everybody starts clapping, and, and everybody thinks the song is done, and no, the, the, they start again with the song. There's another part to the song. And so I imagine that to the first part of the song, heaven is celebrating, but I, I, heaven must know that there's another part to the song. The song has not been finished. The song is not over. The second part of the song is about to be sung. And so if you go with me to verses number 9 and 10, it seems a bit repetitious because they start singing the same lines at the beginning. And they sing, lift up the whole choir singing together. Lift up your heads. And this is a song that is going to be sung in the future from the ramparts of heaven. The angelic hosts and all those who are in heaven, they, they will begin to sing this song. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting door. And the king of glory will come in. And someone will respond the same with the same question. Who is the king of glory? But I want you to notice that this time is not the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. No, this time that last phrase changes, and this is very important for us to understand how is it that the psalm, without the psalmist understanding what exactly he was addressing, he thought it was limited just to the return of the ark, but this psalm was pointing to a futuristic time when the rest of the song would come to pass. Notice the answer, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. There's a dramatic change. The first time the king comes into the gate, he was alone. But this time when he comes back into heaven, after he has descended and he has taken his people with him and he's about to enter the gates of heaven, amen. Now he's not coming alone. Now is not just the Lord strong and mighty. Now is not just the Lord strong in battle. Now is the Lord of hosts. That means that he's coming with a crowd. He's not coming alone. He's coming a company. And heaven will respond and they will say, the Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. So how does this psalm connect to the rapture? Right there. That part of the song, though they sung it as it relates to the return of the Ark of the Covenant, they didn't know that that was a prophetic verse to the song that could not yet be applied to the situation that they were in, but that that, that was to be applied to a futuristic event. And so in a way, it's a prophetic Song, in a way, is a prophetic psalm. I want you to know, remember the little girl at the beginning? She told her mother, and she shared her mother a profound revelation that many of us, in many ways, ignore. Mommy, if we don't know when he's coming, shouldn't we be ready? 
Should we not be ready? The truth of the matter is that we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Because Christ, he's not only a historic figure that left us a good story. He is, a, he is the son of God. He is the king of glory. And his story is not over with, with his ascension to heaven. No, he's coming back. He's coming back again. But he's coming back for those who are ready, those that are prepared. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, meaning a blast of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then verse 17, Then, he, then we who are alive and remain here on earth will simultaneously be caught up. Rapture, that's the word rapture. Caught up is the definition of the word rapture. We will be caught up together with them. With who? With those that are resurrecting, those who went before us, those whose bodies were laid in the grave, but whose spirit, when it departed from that body, it returned to God because they belong to God. Once, they, one, once, the, once Christ comes, that spirit, amen, will once again take hold of that body, but it will not be that body that went into the grave. It will be a body that will be glorified, never again to experience suffering, death, or pain. And so when they rise up, we will join them, those who, of us who are alive, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort and encourage one another with these words concerning our reunion with believers who have died. I want to tell you something, folks. And I know this people watching that in many ways have separated themselves from the body of believers. And many have adopted this false doctrine that we don't need to go to church to be part of the body of Christ. That is the biggest lie of the devil. You can't, you can't live in heaven what you don't practice on earth. You can't be together like, like Paul says that we will be together. We will meet together in the air to live with Jesus for all eternity. You can't do that unless you begin to practice that unity, physical unity here on earth. So if you've embraced that lie, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And I exhort you, you need to get yourself connected to a body, a local body of believers. You need to become part of a local congregation, a place where brothers, you would encourage them and they would encourage you. Because Paul says you must encourage each other with these words. How could you encourage someone or be encouraged by anyone when you're not part of a family? Get connected. And if you don't have a place to go and you live here in town, we welcome you. Come join the family of RLS, Rivers of Life Cyber Church. We're a body of believers that love Jesus and we love each other and we encourage one another. We build up one another. That's the purpose of the body of Christ. And what builds us up the most is that we're constantly emphasizing and constantly preparing ourselves for that great event that's about to happen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so Jesus is the king of that host that is coming back to heaven with him. He is the king of all of those that have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. The redeemed who have been given life through his resurrection. Only a risen Lord can come for his people and only a risen king can take his people and lead them home to be with him for all eternity. And so the psalm is completed. If you look at the psalm, it's completed by a word. Jewish word, Selah. I know Pastor Margie had 
at one time spoke about what this meant. Selah is usually uh, uh, included when, when the writer feels that what, he, what has been written is so profound that you just can't continue to read. You got to take a pause. Have you, ever, have you ever wrote or read a book that the contents are so deep that it's almost like you got to take a break in order to absorb? I mean, that happens to me reading the Bible. It is, it is so deep sometimes, the chapters that I read, that I got to take a break. And if you see me looking away, it's because they, I got my people here, and so I look to them like I do in normal service. Amen. I always look for people for encouragement. And so I'm, I'm looking at my peeps here. Amen. And so, so, so it, 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 the church is not full, but there's, there's, there's a group here that's helping this to happen. And so uh, uh, there, there's times when we have to take a pause. And so in Psalms 24, it, st- it stops with that word, Selah. In other words, don't keep reading the next Psalm. Take a pause and digest this. Chew on this. Because it's is related to us, is related to the body of Christ made up of Gentiles and of Jews. The words of this psalm, part of it pertain to the return of the Ark of the Covenant, which was a representation of the presence of God back to Israel. But the other half of this psalm, amen. Let me tell you something. The the, the Ark of the Covenant was nothing more than a minor precursor of the actual presence of God that would come and dwell with his people. You see, we can't see God, but we know he's with us. We believe it because his word says it, but he is so relational that every so often he allows us to experience his presence. And when we experience his presence, man, we, we react, we respond. You know, some people say, well, pastor, you know, I feel the presence of God, but you know, I'm very calm, you know, I'm, I'm very, no, 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 hold on a second you feel the presence of God, there's got to be an emotional and a physical reaction. You can't tell me that you experience the presence of the Almighty One who created the heavens of the earth, of the Almighty One who sustains all of the galaxy and all of creation in the palm of His hands, of the Almighty One who calls us the apple of His eyes. You can't tell me that you experience His presence at any given moment in your life and you don't respond physically, emotionally to that presence that is Overwhelming, it is awful, or awe-filled, awe-filled, not off, awe-filled, filled with awe, filled with awe. Let me correct that. Filled with awe. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. When we feel the presence of God, that's how we respond. And so we take a moment. And so this psalm is not only related to the return of the ark, but it's related to us. Yes, Jesus arose and he ascended. Yes, he's coming back to take us home. Yes, he is alive and he, he, he's full of love for sinners, man. If there's anyone watching uh, th- this morning, amen, and, and you have n- not made a commitment to Jesus and you feel that you're, you're, you're too bad, no one can save you. I mean, with the things that you've done in life, there's, there's no hope for that. I want to tell you, God is so full of love for you. His heart just overflows with love for you. He loves you. His grace and his compassion is so great. His love is so great that the Bible says that when you come to him, he takes your sins and he casts them so far away from you, as far as the east is from the west. Can you actually grab the east and the west within the the, the parameters of your arms? No, you can't. It's just too far. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far he takes our transgressions, our sins, and he casts them away 
from us. So he's ready to save you this morning. If you would give him that opportunity, he wants to save you because he loves you so much. And so he died for you. He was raised for you. And he wants to be the ruler, the king, the Lord of your life. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes were left behind. Jesus is alive. Many witnesses saw him after his resurrection. They fellowship with him. They ate with him. They went forth to give testimony of this fact. This is not some, some, some fairy tale. This is a, a proven historic event that has been proven factually, amen, by witnesses who were there. Not only the 12 disciples, or amen, but there was, there was over 500 witnesses. And there was a man by the name of Josephus who was never... never known to be a Christian. He was a zealot Jew. And even Josephus, in writing the historical events of this time, he himself wrote that this was the fact. He got the testimony from all of these witnesses that Jesus had truly risen from the grave. I want to tell you, we are the only religion whose Lord and whose God is alive and well. We are the only religion. Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth whose God is alive and well. Every other religion cannot afford to make that claim. Buddha is dead. Mohammed is dead. Confucius is dead. Every founder of every religion that has ever existed died and remains dead. There's only one who is alive. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And one day, he's coming back for us. And we will arrive at the gates of glory. And he will usher us in. Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, and we will hear the angels singing that latter half of the song. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, the Lord who's coming back with his hosts of redeemed. He is the King of glory. I want you to bow your heads right now and pray with me. I hope I was able to connect the resurrection with the rapture. If not, you could read this psalm over again. Read it over again and invite the Holy Spirit to help you understand the contents of it as it relates to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for everyone who's watching. And if there's anyone who does not know you, we pray right now that the blood of Jesus would wash away their sins. We pray that the Spirit of God would invade that place where they're at, that it would fill them right now, Lord, that it would bring them to a place of conviction and repentance, and that as they repent and they turn to you, that you would embrace them into your body, the body of Christ, the church. And so we pray that in the name of Jesus. We pray salvation, healing, and hope for everyone that's watching. Lord, that we would continue with great anticipation and joy, awaiting and being prepared for that time when you would come back for us. Father, this we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. Remember, Wednesday, we'll be with you at 7 p.m. 
And then next Sunday, we'll be back at 11. Lord bless you. Lord keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. That is our prayer. We love you.